Would you spare me a few moments to tell you a true story? This is not made up. These events actually happened. This is an actual true story. The specifics are kind of unique, but the general storyline of this story has been replayed thousands, if not millions of times throughout history. The story I want to tell you about is about a successful career man. He was admired by everybody. He had everything going for him. In fact, everything that he touched seemed to succeed. He was the kind of guy that was so famous, uh, had been so successful that when you saw him out in, peop- out in public, people would point and say, that's him, there he is, there he goes, that's the man. The fellow I'm describing was married and he had children. But like a lot of highly career-motivated people, he apparently had neglected his family and his parenting duties, failed to maintain good leadership in his family, and he certainly didn't, didn't exercise any discipline toward his children. In the midst of all this very busy work that he was engaged with, he got involved with another man's wife, and he had an affair. He ultimately married that woman, but things were never right after that. Specifically, he had a lot of trouble with his kids. One of his sons, the, the third oldest, got into a lot of trouble. And it's clear that he really despised his father, and he did whatever he could to, to humiliate and shame his dad. Finally, one day that son was killed, tragically, and when someone came to tell the father about the tragic events, the father suspected the worst, and he asked, is the young man safe? Is the young man safe? Do you know this man? Sadly, you might know lots of men who fit the description or the storyline that we just gave, but you know this man, don't you? His story is not uncommon, but you know this man. We're talking about King David. His early success, and he had been tremendously successful, his early success was tainted by that horrible episode with Bathsheba. David can and should be remembered for lots of things that happened in his life, but sadly, he is maybe most remembered for that horrible episode with Bathsheba. When that occurred, when he had that affair with Bathsheba, he was warned that there would be lingering consequences in his family. And those problems in the family culminated with the rebellion against him by his own son Absalom. David's words in 2 Samuel 18, verse 33, reflect his mourning. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. He mourned over the loss of his son. I think in this sad story of David, there are some important lessons for us today. And we're going to try to draw them out for just a few minutes as we study together from the Word of God. I want to stop here just briefly to say thanks to everybody who's come. We're glad that you're here Uh, And we are encouraged by being able to join together as Jordan just prayed a few moments ago. We're glad to be able to have this opportunity to be together. We have a number of visitors. We're grateful for your coming. We're glad that you're here. We still 
our numbers are still somewhat decimated by the, all the flu bug that's going around. And we hope that it won't spread any further. Uh, and hope that those who are sick will get better quickly. But we're glad that you're here and glad that we have this opportunity to, to worship God. What are some of the lessons that we could draw from this story? Now remember, I, and what I intended by telling the story the way I did is, that story has happened over and over and over again, right? David's, David is well known in Bible history for the events of his life. But if you take his events and generalize them, you can imagine that that's happened who knows how many times throughout history with various individuals. And so the point is we need to learn from that. We don't have to repeat all the same mistakes he did. Uh, we can learn from his life. And I think there are some lessons. First of all, I'd like to suggest that there are some lessons for those who are parents. Um, I tell parents, every parent, I think you know this already, but I would just reemphasize to you that there's no job that you'll ever be assigned that is more important than this job, the job of raising, rearing, teaching, instructing, disciplining your children, the most important job that you will ever have. Uh, certainly, the job of parenting can bring tremendous rewards in this life there's real blessings that come to parents when they do their job well but fail to do your job and i want to tell you there's nothing i think in this life that can bring the hurt and suffering that you will feel if you fail in your parenting work sadly in our world it's 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 undisputable that many parents are grossly neglecting the responsibility of parenting their children we see that in the world and we see uh, in, even in our immediate society, we see sort of a disintegration of things. And a lot of it's rooted in the fact that the family unit is being destroyed. And so in the world, we see parents not bringing up their children in any right ways whatsoever. We've got to be careful because we even see evidence sometimes of it in the church that parents are neglecting this most important job. In Proverbs chapter, uh, excuse me, um, let me just add this point to that and then we'll look at some scriptures. What you've got to do relative to this most important job is take the time, do the work, and stay involved. Work, stay involved, spend the time. Uh, Now, we know parents who spend a lot of time, work pretty hard, Stay involved, but, but it's all about things of this world. There, there are some parents who get just very uh, involved in their children's secular education. Secular education is good, necessary. When you get parents who be, spend all kinds of time and energy about their kids' secular education. We see parents who get really involved, spend tremendous amount of time with their children in recreational pursuits, sporting activities, and so forth. That's good. Uh, uh, and there's things to be gained by that. But many times those same parents won't invest any time or do any work or stay involved with their children in spiritual things. And that's the most important thing. So remember that spiritually teaching and bringing up your children to fear God, to love Him, to obey His commands is the most important job you have. And you will have to work at it. It's not just going to come easily or naturally. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15 the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Notice, a child left to himself. Have you known of that? Do you know any examples of a child left to himself? I know that you do, right? That happens all the time in our world 
What happens when a child is left to himself? In other words, he's not getting the parenting that he needs and deserves. He's going to bring shame to his mother. In other words, the parents will, will feel the grief of that when they have not done their job. A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. In Proverbs 19, verse 18, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Notice this expression, while there is hope. This is talking about disciplining children. And it says, do it while there is hope. That would imply that there is a limited time to get this work done. There's sort of a window of opportunity. And that window of opportunity will close. It won't be available anymore. So do your job now while there is hope, while there's time, while the opportunity is available to you. Do your job now because you won't always be able to accomplish what you will hope for your children. We need to learn those lessons. In the text that was read for us from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the King James rendering. The New American Standard Version says, Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So one of the things involved here is instruction. And I think that some parents sort of excuse themselves by saying, Well, my kids know. My kids have been instructed. They have been taught. I've been taking my kids, bringing them to church, and sending them to Bible classes for years now. They, they understand. They, they have been instructed. Well, that's good because there are a lot of kids who don't get the basic instruction. But instruction is not all, right? There is the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so a lot of times, although kids know better, they haven't been disciplined in regards to godly things, and therefore they fail. And so as parents, we just stress to you again that this is your most important job, and you're going to have to work at it. David's example that we started out with, he failed as a father. You'd have to say that David was a pretty bad failure as a father, uh, and we need to learn. We don't have to repeat his mistakes. We need to learn from them. I think in this story of David with Absalom and how Absalom led a rebellion against his own father and was eventually killed, I think not only is there a lesson for parents, but also a lesson for our young people. And we especially challenge our young people to think about some of the lessons that the Scriptures would address to you specifically. First of all, we want to suggest that you are accountable for your actions. You are accountable for your actions. A lot of times children uh, think that their parents are wrong about things. Uh, I mean, I think all of us when we were young, some of us are a lot older now, probably can remember back when we were young, saying, my, my mom and dad were wrong about that. They were wrong when they did that, or they were wrong when they told me that, or they were wrong when they limited me in that way. My parents were wrong. Uh, now, what about that? Do parents ever make mistakes? Sure, parents make mistakes. My parents made mistakes. I made a mistake. I have made mistakes as parent. As a parent, you, when you are a parent, young people, you will make mistakes when you're parenting too. But I'm going to tell you something: the mistakes that your parents make will never be an excuse for you to misbehave or do wrong. Think about Absalom. David had made some serious mistakes as a father. Yet Absalom was accountable for his actions uh, leading in that rebellion against the king. 
And so we need reminders about accountability. Uh, accountability means that even though others make mistakes, even though my parents make mistakes, I'm still responsible and accountable. The mistakes of others don't justify my misbehavior. Certainly, I think we see that in the case of Absalom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says simply, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Uh, that passage, and like so many others that talk about ultimate judgment, suggests personal accountability. And young people, you will be accountable just as Absalom was accountable. His dad made mistakes, but he was accountable nonetheless, and so are you. Let me suggest to you that we have to be aware of the danger of peer pressure. Absalom, if we took the time to read that whole story about the rebellion that he led against his father David, Absalom surrounded himself with a, uh, with a lot of undesirable characters And I'm sure those undesirable characters were ones who encouraged him to do what was wrong. Peer pressure is a great issue. We all know that. We talk about that a lot. We talk about peer pressure. And young people, we just remind you again, be careful about the people you associate with because they can lead you astray and will do their best, in fact, sometimes to lead you astray. The verse that we always reference about this is, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, the New American Standard Version says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's just a plain, straightforward statement. It was true almost 2,000 years ago when Paul penned those words by inspiration, and it's still true today. Bad company corrupts good morals. What do you think of when you think of bad company? (coughs) Well, when I think of... I think the first thought that comes to mind is young people drinking, young people doing drugs, smoking marijuana, young people committing sexual immorality. Bad company corrupts good morals. You're around people who are doing those kind of things. The temptation will be for you to imitate them, to do the bad things that they are doing. Bad company corrupts good morals. Be aware of that. And so in matters of morality, this principle applies, right? But I want you to think about a different way to apply this statement. And here I would ask you, if you have time, to go back and read the text of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the text, the context in which this famous statement is made. You know what the context is there? The context is a false doctrine. The context is of false teachers. The context is not about... Issues of morality. The principle applies to issues of morality, and that's how we usually use this verse. But the context of this is if you're around people who are not doctrinally sound, they can lead you away. They can lead you astray. And young people, we just want to advise you, there's a lot of false doctrine being spread in the world today. And unfortunately, even among our own brethren, there are those who are not teaching the truth on various issues be aware that there's a danger to you. You, can't, you just can't assume, well, he's a Christian. He's a member of the Lord's church. Everything's okay with what he teaches and what he practices. That's not necessarily so. The statement here in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals, was made in the context of false teaching. Be aware. Peers can be a great danger. 
in so many different ways. Be aware of the dangers of peer pressure. You've got to exercise self-discipline. Self-discipline. Self-discipline is a sign of maturity. When, our, when children are little, we have to do the disciplining, right? And so here's a, here's a two- or three-year-old toddler, and, they, and they're running out toward the, the busy highway. What do we do? Well, we snatch them up, right? And we may even swat their backside because they've got to learn. You do not run out in traffic, but we have to discipline them, right? We have to supply the discipline to them because they're not mature. They don't know to discipline themselves, right? Here's a 16 or 17-year-old kid, and he's running out into the street. What do you expect of him? Well, you expect that kid knows better by now can discipline himself. He's not going to run out in traffic. He's 16 years old, for crying out loud. What's happened there? Well, he's matured. We expect him to mature and have some sense about him to make some self-discipline, right? Well, that's a simple illustration. But what about other matters? What about some of those moral issues that we were describing earlier? What about drinking or smoking marijuana? What about sexual immorality? What are you going to do, young people? Well, you need to discipline yourselves because self-discipline is a sign of spiritual maturity. And if you're not able to discipline yourself, then you just need to realize you need to, you need to get busy. You need to mature. You need to exercise self-discipline. In Titus chapter 2, beginning verse 6, Titus was told, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. So Titus is being told what he should teach. And he is told, teach the young men to be sober-minded. The word sober-minded, there's a couple different words in the New Testament that are translated sober, but this one has to do with self-discipline, controlling yourself and notice that it, it was young men in particular who were told, Titus, you exhort the young men. Work on the young men. Know that young men need to be urged to be self-disciplined, to be sober-minded. And then he goes on to tell Titus, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So, young men, young people in general, exercise self-discipline. We go back to that story of David and Absalom, and I think when you remember that whole story that we have not thoroughly read this morning, but when you remember that whole story about Absalom, you have to think that he was not self-disciplined. There were several events there, and we won't go into detail, but several events in the things that he did that suggest that he was not. A, a character who could discipline himself as he should. Finally, to young people, we would say, keep your priorities in order. There's a lot of things demanding a young person's attention, and we know that. Uh, there's your studies that you have to keep up. I mean, if you're going to get an education, you've got to work at that. You've got to invest the time and energy and study your assigned subjects. We understand. A lot of times there's work involved. Uh, you got to have money. 
if you're going to go to school, you got to have money. If you're going to do other things, you got to have money. You got to work, and we understand the importance of work. Uh, and then, of course, there's always a lot of interest in having some fun, and fun's a good thing. And you got to have fun. That's fine. It's fun, fine to have fun. But what's your number one priority? You got to keep your priorities in order, and the number one priority has got to be God. I know you're familiar with this text. We just remind you of it one more time in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning verse 9. The wise man says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and sight of thine eyes. So in all of that, I think Solomon is saying that uh, youth, this time of life, he says, is a time for rejoicing. This is a time to have fun. So enjoy these days of your youth, he says. But he goes on to say, but know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Don't forget that while you're having fun in the days of your youth, which is all appropriate and good, don't forget the point we already made about accountability to God. Have fun, enjoy your youth, but realize that you're still accountable to God in the days of thy youth. Don't forget that. He says... Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Put him first. Put him first now. Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. Do not have the mistaken idea that says, when I'm older, when I'm as old as my parents are, when I'm as old as the preacher is, I'll, I'll get serious about spiritual things then when I'm older right now is the time in the days of my youth I'm just gonna have fun no have fun remember your accountability keep God in the right priority even in your youth remember thy creator in the days of thy youth because what could happen he says the evil days come the years draw nigh and you'll say I have no pleasure in them you could be sorry if you postponed serving God. Uh, remember him in the days of thy youth. So David's famous expression about Solomon was, is the young man safe? Is the young man safe? And of course, the, the understanding was he was not safe. In fact, at that moment, he was dead. But that's a great question to ask. Is the young man safe? We want to know, young people, are you safe? In order for our young people to be safe, it requires parents doing your job. Do it well. Kids understand all that's involved in life. Accountability before God. The danger is present. Your need to mature and discipline yourself. Keeping God and all spiritual priorities in the right place. That's a sad story about David. As I said, you can easily take the, the general details of David's problem and apply that to people all through the ages. What about us? Is, is the young man, are our young people safe? Something to think about. I hope that we encourage one another to think along those lines. We're going to sing a song of invitation. As we sing this song of invitation, we'll be asking everybody to think about your relationship with God, make sure it's right. If you need to obey the gospel, that is that simple gospel plan of salvation, which is hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins, 
If you've not done that, we would encourage you to take those steps today. If you don't really know enough that you could make that decision, just say a word. We'd be glad to study with you. This is the most important decision of life. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful, Lord, come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.